to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. I'm often asked, what's the difference between a caregiver and a family caregiver? Well, a paycheck. I mean, let's just be blunt. A paycheck. Those of us who are volunteering to do this, sometimes we're able to work out getting paid, and that's always great, but we were not trained for this. This is not necessarily our chosen field. We just have to love somebody who has a chronic impairment. Maybe that's you. If so, you are in the right place. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I was having a conversation in the caregiver support group that I lead here in our little town in Montana. I started this a couple of years ago, and for the first several weeks, I was the only one that showed up. And then little by little, this group started growing and growing as people trickled in. And we have lively discussions, and we go from hilarious to, you know, tear-jerking, heart-wrenching moments within a space of sometimes, you know, two minutes. But it's a great group where we all speak fluent caregiver. But I had the conversation, and I want to, you know, run it by you guys and see what you think. But I feel like as caregivers, and I'm... I've been saying this for some time. We're high-functioning multitaskers. Do you think that's a fair description? I look back and I feel like I was kind of always wired like this, that I could read a room pretty well. I could see what was going on. I could juggle several things at one time. Nothing on the level that I can do now. But I felt like I had a predisposition to this before becoming a caregiver, But the years of doing this have honed that to the point where it's a bit different. I mean, you know, when you see me, I am kinetically moving around. I don't ever just sit down and talk to anybody on the phone, for example. I had a guy ask me, don't you ever just sit down and have a conversation? I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I have an earpiece that I use with my phone and I'm always doing the dishes or laundry or whatever, but I'm not going to just sit there and have a conversation. That's too difficult to do during most of the time. And also when I speak, I tend to like to move. I tend to be, like I said, very kinetic and I I'm doing, I'm used to doing several things at one time. I can read a room pretty well. That means I can, see what's going on around the room, notice different things happening all at once, and I'm able to do that. What I'm not able to do is turn that off very easily. And I think that's what caregiving has done to me, and maybe for me, but let's just say to me right now. And so when I I need to switch that, if you will, I focus on one thing that I can focus on. Like it's a, if it's a TV show, I'm going to watch a TV show uninterrupted or a movie or read a book. You know, if I'm doing something like that, I'm going to do it uninterrupted. And that's hard to do as a caregiver. But that's a way for me to kind of recalibrate my brain, if you will. Does that make sense at all? Does, it, does, does this track at all with you? Are you that way? Because I'm kind of taking an informal poll to see... You know, is this the way a lot of us are as caregivers? I threw this out to one member of the group who loves to do a lot of music, and he and I have both been caregivers 
for 37 years plus now. And, you know, he was the same way. If he's going to play a piece of music or get involved in something, work on a piece of music or something, he's going to do that to the exclusion of everything else. He needs to have that time where he's just completely cut off and this is what he's going to do. That's hard for us to get as caregivers. But it's important for us to get as caregivers. Now, why is that? Well, you ever rubbed your feet on the carpet and you build up a static charge and then you have to touch something that's metal to release that static charge? I think that's the way it is for us sometimes as caregivers. And I, again, I'm just, this is not scientific. This is just me. But I've been observing this in fellow caregivers. And I think it, it, it seems like we get so focused on everything going on around us and we can see it i i know i can and i've talked to other caregivers who can and we can juggle all these things but it's very difficult for us to focus on one thing while there's a lot of distraction going on for example gracie can have a conversation while the television's on i cannot i cannot i mean you put a gun to my head and i can't do it it's just, it's too, it bifurcates my brain, you know. And and I thought about that spiritually, of what goes on with me. And you know the story of Mary and Martha, where Martha was bustling around the kitchen and waiting on everybody, and Mary was sitting there at Jesus' feet just listening to Jesus. And Martha, you know, cried out to Jesus, hey, have my little help here. And Jesus rebuked Martha. And I always kind of thought Martha got a bad rap on that, you know, because been there, done that. And I think for me, as I, as I stew on that lesson, what was Martha missing and do I miss the same thing? Yes, the meal is important, but so is focusing on the most important thing to the exclusion of everything else. That is very hard for me to do as a caregiver. Because I feel like there's always, you know, a thousand things competing for shelf space. And it's hard for me to to do that. It's just hard. I don't know how to say it any better than that. I don't know if it's hard for you like that. I mean, you tell me. HopefortheCaregiver.com, by the way, if you want to go out and send me a note on that effect or go to our Facebook group and post it. But I, you tell me. Is that hard for you to do? And so I have to take kind of extreme measures and recalibrate my brain sometimes. And that's what I do when I get out on a horse. In the wintertime, I get out on a snowmobile. Sometimes, I, you know, when the weather's nice, I get out on a ATV or something. Sometimes just go for a walk. Whatever I can do to kind of detach and clear my brain, recharge. Uh, music's that way for me. When I get into the zone with music and creating and writing when I'm writing an article or whatever, that's the way I get. And I lock in on one thing, the main thing at that moment. And it helps kind of settle me down. And I'm curious to see if that's the way it is for my fellow caregivers or is is it just me and I'm just some kind of weirdo, you know, which is highly likely. But I'm not sure because the caregivers I've talked to seem to nod their heads with great understanding when I say that. I was wired a certain way 
before I ever met Gracie. But 37 years of this has honed this down to um, really a, a level of skill at reading a room and seeing things going on and paying attention to what's going on that I never dreamed I would have. I, I feel like I'm always on. I'm always having to be vigilant. And there are times when I have to stop and just, you know, take a deep breath and be still and, you know, touch a piece of metal and let that spark out, diffuse that electric buildup, if you will, in, in my life. And I'm thinking that maybe a lot of my fellow caregivers are the same way. And so what is that for you? Do you have such a thing that you can do? You know, like I said, for me, it's getting outside or horses or music or something like that. Uh, I, I got a friend of mine who's a caregiver for a long time. He does bonsai trees. They're so meticulous. It's very, very um, tiny, disciplined work. And I, that's the way it is for him. I got another friend of mine who's gets lost in painting just extraordinary work but they're lost in it and i think that's important for us as caregivers and i would i may explore that a little bit later i've got a guest in my next segment that you're going to love she was a special needs teacher for over 40 years and has written a book about some of the things she learned from that so i think you're going to find that very meaningful anyway this is a conversation i wanted to broach with you and let's uh, continue this on as we move down the road here. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Here's Rob West of Faith and Finance, heard here daily on American Family Radio. I'd like to take a moment to ask you to consider investing in the ministry that you know as American Family Association. For over 40 years, American Family Association has been on the front lines in the battle for the future of our great nation. They continue to stand for the biblical principles America was founded upon. One way you can support AFA's efforts is through your estate planning. Why not explore the benefits of including AFA in your estate planning? You can shore up permanent income for your retirement years while supporting the culture-transforming work of the American Family Association. Contact Riley Wildman and the team at the AFA Foundation today. Call 800-326-4543, extension 345. That's 800-326-4543, extension 345. Or visit afafoundation.net. You know, there's so much peer pressure and so many eroding factors in our culture that are bringing in the idea that gender is fluid and that somehow orientation is fixed, which is the other way around. Satan is a specialist in confusion and manipulation in order to fool people into believing his lies. You know, what are the intrinsic value of femininity? What is the intrinsic value of masculinity? Is it okay to be a man? Is it okay to be a woman? And even using the church in his schemes. It's a place where the church ought to be able to respond more graciously. In the special edition DVD from the AFA Cultural Institute, Practical Ways to Minister to the Sexually Broken, Stephen Black and Laura Lee Stanlake help us understand and deal with the questions and struggles of identity and show us how we can effectively and gracefully share God's truth. Order it today when you visit resources.afa.net.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. One of the things that I've experienced in my life in dealing with disabilities is there are, of course, very touching moments, very profound moments, tearful moments, hilarious moments. You know, by the way, is it okay to laugh? Absolutely, it's okay to laugh. It's life. And we're going to have those things. We're going to learn from those things. And I've heard for a lifetime when I recount some of the stories that Gracie and I've had, oh, you can't make this stuff up. Well, you can't. And <laughs> nor should you try, by the way. And if you spend any time in the disability special needs world, you're going to realize that this is just life. It's just life. And you live it. And you live it with gusto. You live it with excitement. You live it with passion. Yeah, we're going to live it with tears, but we also live it with laughter. And today I'm very thrilled to have a wonderful guest on the program. She's got a new book that's called You Can't Make This Stuff Up, Life Lessons from Special Kids. And this is Deborah Laneville. She's been a teacher, special needs teacher, for over 40 years. I fell in love with the title for the book, and I invited Deborah to come on the program. There are a lot of people in this audience who have special needs children, and they feel somewhat isolated, somewhat embarrassed, somewhat despairing. They feel a lot of feelings. I've got family members with special needs children, and I've talked with so many who deal with everything from autism to cerebral palsy to spina bifida to just name it. It's out there. And I thought, let's hear from someone who has been in this world as a teacher because if there's one thing that we need as caregivers it's assurance from somebody who has experience and so i'm thrilled to welcome deborah to the program today deborah laneville and her new book is you can't make this stuff up life lessons from special kids deborah welcome to the program and tell me what inspired a teacher of 42 years to write this book well, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. Probably my second year of teaching, I, I started off teaching kids with emotional disabilities. And there were just crazy things that happened all the time. And somebody said, you should write a book. And in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe I will. So when I retired, I taught for 42 years. And when I retired, I thought, okay, this is it. I actually started it years ago, but then I got serious about it when I retired. And I thought, okay, this needs to be done. And it kind of started off as a memoir and had different stories of different kids. But as it evolved, I realized I've learned life lessons from these kids. So some of the stories are hilarious. Some of them are, are gut-wrenching. Some of them are amazing. And all of these kids, I realized, taught me and can teach all of us life lessons. So at the end, I wrap it up with 10 life lessons that I learned from these kids. And I realized that it was more than a memoir. It was more of a way to give back to parents to celebrate these kids and to let future teachers know kind of what they had in store. I, I, I realized 
I realized that this was more than a memoir of a teacher, that I had life lessons from these kids that I learned that I wanted to share with everyone because we can all learn life lessons from these kids. So I wrap up the book with 10 life lessons that I learned and want to share with people. Share with me one of those right now. Just what, what, what's the first one that comes to your mind? Well, when you said use humor, like I would use humor all the time in my class. I would laugh with the kids and we would celebrate things and, and just be silly. So, so one of the 10 things is use humor. And I think both as caregivers, as teachers, um, as parents, we can all benefit from the gift of humor. I'm counting on it. My wife doesn't always appreciate it very much, but I'm counting on it. And I mean, I grew up with four brothers and a sister, so we had a large family. And when you have a family that big, humor is a big part of it. We're loud. We're sarcastic. You know, uh, to this day, we're that way. But but humor's a big part of that. And I think humor has helped Gracie and I deal with some harsh challenges. A lot of parents with special needs children feel awkward about that at the beginning, but it doesn't take too long to grow into it. Realize that, you know what, this is our life. We're going to laugh. We're going to, we're going to have a good time and, and do these things. Do you find resistance with that, with humor, with other parents and other people when you're dealing with special needs? Not really, because I always made it clear that my intent was to celebrate and honor these kids and never be disparaging in any way. Um, one girl I had, her dad told me sarcasm is her second language. And she was just funny. She was a girl with autism. And she was, I just found her really funny. Do you feel that, well, what's another one besides humor? Let's, let's go with that. What's another one besides humor? Okay. So there's different types of intelligence and kids with special needs may not score well on a test, but they certainly have gifts to share and different types of intelligence. And I think everybody does as, as anybody who's taken any classes uh, about that knows. And you have to really value what, what each person can bring to the table, to learning that it may not be knowing um, your times table, but maybe you're the kid who can really read people well and be very aware of situations. You know, I've got a buddy of mine whose son is um, uh, 40 something years old with Down syndrome. And one of the things he talks about his son often is that how wise he is. He's a wise soul. Absolutely. Does that resonate with you? Absolutely. Um, there's kids. One girl I called my goodwill ambassador. If you looked at her medical conditions on paper, it might look kind of grim, but she was the most welcoming, loving girl. And I called her my goodwill ambassador because she would welcome anyone in our room and celebrate them. And she would remember their names and, and just bring so much joy to everybody. What's another life lesson that surprised you? That even kids, no matter how um, much of a disability they have, if they can be in a position to help other people, they not only rise to the occasion and do it, but they help 
themselves too. So the ability to be a helper themselves is a huge bonus for everybody. It makes them feel better about themselves and they truly can help other people. Now, I got to ask you, what did you teach for 42 years? Well, I taught from kindergarten through high school. Even though when I graduated from college, I said the one area I won't teach is middle school. Most of my uh, time was spent teaching middle school and I ended up loving it. But the reason I'm asking is, did you edit your own book? Were you an English teacher? I was not. I was always a special (laughs) ed teacher. I mean, I edited my editing and edited. (laughs) That's part of the process. (laughs) I I, I was not the best English student. As a teacher, you would be aghast at my performance (laughs) in school. But uh, And I remember the first time I turned my my first manuscript into the editor, and it came back with so much red ink on it that I thought I'd been stabbed. You know, so I... (laughs) I don't know if you had the same issue. You would not, of course, because you're a superb teacher. But I uh, I think that's always fun to watch teachers have to go under the same kind of constraints that the oh, rest absolutely. of us do. Would. <laughs> absolutely. Was, it, was I, this your first book? It is. It is. I um, have a website. Um, it's called speciallessons.com. And one of the blog things I talked about was you have to have thick skin. So the ability to say, well, that's not the way to say it. Let's think of a different way to say it. I mean, that was, you know, I always was good in English and I always thought, you know, I um, was a pretty good writer, but um, it looked like I had to go back to comma school sometimes. Oh, commas, commas and <laughs> And I have had a, a very difficult relationship yeah, yeah. and um, and run on sentences. And and I, I wrote in passive voice all the time. And it was just like, uh, so I've, I've had some good tutors and some good, good uh, folks that have editors have come along, giving me some great advice as a writer and helped me polish it up. But it's, um, uh, was it fun? Did you enjoy the writing experience? I did. I really did. It um, like, there were times that, I would write about something that was difficult and I really had to like take a break and and maybe take a walk. And and I would really kind of sit and think, okay, God, give me the strength to say this the right way and give honor to this person and dignity. And, you know, I want to say it the correct way. So there, you know, there are parts, I mean, I had kids sadly that passed away and, you know, how to explain that. I taught during 9-11 and how to explain that to kids who have special needs or even the challenger, you know, way back 40, I taught 42 years. So the challenger, when that happened, kids thought something would happen to their family. So we had to really regroup and and really had to think you know you were you were teaching when reagan was shot when the pope was shot yeah challenger of course 9-11 right right. uh, the gulf first gulf war yeah i mean there was there there was a lot happening in the world and and special needs children you know they're looking to you saying okay are we okay are we going to be okay right (laughs) you know and and that's a very good question for them and it and, is it is uh, I, I i'm curious on your response and i tell you what i'm going to do i want to 
uh, take a quick break and I want to come back and I want you to tell me some of those responses that you had and, and things, some more things that you've learned about this. This is Deborah Laneville and she wrote the new book. It's called You Can't Make This Stuff Up. This book just came out and it's called Life Lessons from Special Kids. You Can't Make This Stuff Up. Oh, and her website is speciallessons.com. Speciallessons.com. We'll be right back with more of our conversation with author and longtime teacher, Deborah Laneville. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. Peter Rosenberger. He's been a caregiver since the Cold War. If you are engaging in sexual sin, today is the day to repent. As it was corrupt in Judah, let's be honest, the same things are happening today. The pornography addiction amongst the body of Christ is through the roof. And by and large, many in the church are not discussing these things too often because many of the people who are entrusted with the responsibility to do so, they're bound themselves. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III on American Family Radio. Hey, did you hear? MoneyWise is different. It's now Faith and Finance with Rob West. Don't worry, Rob will still help build your faith while giving biblical advice about your finances. It's just a different name. From a diversification perspective, I like uh, properly diversified stock and bond portfolio, especially given where the market is right now. Faith and Finance with Rob West. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Central on AFR or catch the podcast at AFR.net. America today is like a sick patient, and Tim Wildman says the prognosis is not good. At one time, the world looked to America as the example of liberty. Unfortunately, she's in a state of moral and social decline that's at a low point you may not realize. The 2022 midterm elections had the highest turnout among voters aged 18 to 29, and this age group was the only one in which a strong majority supported progressives, the ones who push socialism, big government, LGBTQ, climate change, basically anything extremely liberal and anti-God. It's obvious the brainwashing from woke education, godless entertainment, and abundant social media is making an impact. Now more than ever, we have to stand united for God and the family. AFA is committed to continuing to pray and fight just as we've done for more than 45 years. Tim Wildman has a special update at AFA.net that we strongly encourage you to read. Visit AFA.net today. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. And this is a special interview for me to be able to have Deborah Laneville on the show to talk about her new book called You Can't Make This Up, Life Lessons from Special Kids. And I've got a lot of folks in this audience who have special needs children. And I want Deborah to be here today just to be able to talk to you as as somebody who has taught special needs kids for a lifetime. And we were talking about just for the break of all the the big life events that happen when these kids with special needs are in school. Well, who do you think they're looking to? Well, they're looking to their teacher and they're confused. They're scared. They're nervous. I have a theory, Deborah, that the vast majority of us, if not all of us at our core need, we cry out for assurance. 
we just want to be assured it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, that we're, that this thing is just not going to go off the cliff. And, and I imagine as you're looking in the faces of these precious children that you've taught for a lifetime over and over, just so many different faces come to your mind that there were times when they were very frightened and they looked to you not to teach them how to do a particular academic skill, but just to be an assuring voice and face to let them know that they're loved and cared for. Is that a fair assessment? Absolutely. And I would always try to point out to them to to look for the helpers. That was kind of like my catchphrase with them, because you're right, they did need assurance. And they did need to just know life would go on and we would kind of sally forth with our activities. If they needed a little break, they could take a break. Sometimes it would just be, let's take a walk and just try to regroup. Sometimes let's go get a drink of water. Let's make a picture. Let's, you know, think about all of our blessings, all the wonderful things that we do have. And we're so happy that we do have. Mm. You know, I think about that message and how consistent it is throughout all of Scripture. Just think about the provisions that we have. You know, it's it's hard to be afraid when you're grateful, isn't it? Absolutely. You've got the humor and other things. If you know, what's a, what's another poignant lesson uh, that you've learned of, of from this book? What's what's another one that comes to your mind? Sometimes music is the way to connect. Like kids, why a lot of different people. I've I've seen people in nursing homes that come alive with music. So music is a big connection for a lot of people. Uh, Hans Christian Andersen once said, "When words fail, music speaks." Right. And and I've and, always and loved that quote. It's it's a way to just release stress too. We would always start our day um with music and music was a great way to teach math or English or even like during COVID, how to wash your hands, how to you know, a lot of things. Music is a great way to connect for kids. So using the use of music and I saw that so much with my kids. Well, I still remember Schoolhouse Rock when I was a kid. Absolutely. And, and I can still remember a noun is a person, place, or thing. <laughs> you know? And that's, conjunction. that's more but, than a couple of years ago, by the way. Yeah, I know. So, and I still remember it. Do yep. you uh, play any musical instruments? Um, I played clarinet and I was in choir. Um, I have a, a son who writes his own music and plays the guitar. Um, that's the one that we just visited in Okinawa. So, well, do you, did you bring your clarinet to class? I did not. I didn't, the, but I sang not? a lot to them. I taught, <laughs> you know, kindergarten. Kindergarten kids love to hear you sing. By middle school, it's more of a threat of, you know, if you don't do this, I'm going to sing to you. <laughs> well, I've used that threat myself. Yeah. I, I married a singer so that I didn't have to, and the and the the hearing world was grateful. Uh, but I, well, I would ask, I want to pivot just a bit in the little bit of time we have left here. What are your thoughts as you look across the landscape of our country? This is a loaded question, and you can feel free to dodge it however you want. <laughs> what are your thoughts as you see the school structures and settings in our country? I mean, 42 years you spent as a teacher, uh, predominantly, I, from what I understand, in special needs. But right. you saw firsthand what's going on in our schools. What are your thoughts? What are your concerns? What are your hopes? What are your inspirations? Well, I still have a lot of hope because I think 
as time has gone on, we've come to realize there's a lot of different needs. We've identified um, different abilities and, and disabilities that we never knew existed and how to deal with those and how, so I really do, I'm an eternal optimist. I um, like to think that, you know, that we are moving forward, that especially in, in terms of special education, that there's more opportunities for kids. There's more inclusion and awareness. And, and that's part of what I wanted to bring with my book is in awareness for kids with disabilities. You know, I look back in the 70s when we had Welcome Back Cotter for kids that had, you know, learning issues. And it was a punchline. And I look at the advancement in special needs education, the integration in mainstreaming kids so that they're not just sequestered over somewhere, but they they get to participate in school with others and benefit from that participation. And you've watched all of this over your lifetime. Uh, you've seen massive changes. Absolutely. In, in, in when I first started teaching in the 70s, it was called PL94142, and it was like the law for disabilities, that kids with disabilities um, deserved an education, a free and appropriate public education. And now it's devolved even more and to be more inclusive. Our world is more inclusive and and places are handicap accessible and there's more awareness in our world. So it's definitely, I think, changes for the better. As a teacher, as a special needs teacher, young parents who find out that their child is diagnosed with something or is born with some challenges, whatever, what are some things that you would like those young parents to know? That they do have support, that they're not alone. I don't want them to feel isolated and hopeless, that they can connect with a lot of support groups. You probably sit across a table or a desk from some very teary parents, I would imagine. Yes, I have. I remember when I was teaching kindergarten, I, I taught in a parochial school and, and I knew right away this little girl had autism and it kind of crushed their hopes and dreams to realize that. But I said, you know, this, we need to get her to a school that is better equipped for her needs and meets her needs better. And it was hard for the parents at first, but then came to realize that that's what needed to be done. So I think it's important that they know that there's support, but I think they need to have support for themselves too, to help them know that they need to take some time for themselves to um, either find a blog or a podcast or, you know, your, your things that you do are wonderful. I mean, the caregiver support is so important for those people. When you get a bad diagnosis or you have an event, there are so many different conflicting feelings that come over people. Parents that bring a child into this world with special needs feel enormously guilty for bringing this child in. And then they feel all types of conflicting feelings as this child grows or you know, when you have a loved one, whatever the scenario is, there's always this barrage of very difficult feelings. I love the fact that you've been able to kind of gently shepherd these special needs parents to a place where you know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Life is still great. Life is still beautiful. Life is still exciting. Absolutely. And, and, and look at their strengths. I always like to start an IEP 
meeting, the individual education meeting that you have yearly with celebrating what that child can do instead of what that child is lacking, like their gifts that they could share. What is a child story that you look back on today, even still today, with just utter amazement at what happened with the success of this child? Um, There's a lot of them. Um, I always love to know what happens after they leave my class when they become adults, like what they're doing today. One time I um, was getting my hair cut and this young man says, Mrs. Laneville. And I look around and it's a student that I had in my class. And I didn't recognize him at first, but he knew what I looked like. And he had his own lawn care business. And he said, I still remember that math you taught me. So, you know, that just, oh, as a teacher, that's like, you know, the best. As we have this conversation, you know, and I'm watching your face just beam, mm-hmm. um, you you could tell where your heart is. Do you, do you, what do you do now, now that you've retired? Do you, besides write a, a new book, I mean, <laughs> do you consult? Do you offer, do you kind of mentor younger teachers or what's next for you? I still sub once in a while. I still like to go back and, and connect with kids. I, I'm trying to reach out to colleges, realizing that this book would be a great tool for kids going into special education or even education at all, a great tool for them because there's lessons in there I wished I would have known. I mean, I, I talk about stuff they don't teach in school, like how to respond, what to do, the holistic approach of parents and how to deal with them, you know, to support them. So that that's what I would like to do is reach out to colleges. Well, I hope that we can be a small part of helping you do that through this program and that we can also uh, connect you up with a lot of parents and, and grandparents and pastors and Sunday school teachers at churches, <laughs> because I think churches tend to be um, sadly a little bit behind when it comes to special needs Sunday school. Yeah, that's and, true. And I would I would like to see that change. I, I I would like to see our churches be a place that has great understanding of special needs families. Uh, and I think we have the mandate to do that. Yeah, uh, I, rem- I remember going into a, a bank that I banked at in Nashville. When we lived in Nashville and they had a sign there that said, this is an autism friendly zone or whatever. Uh, and I, I knew there had to be a story behind that. And they said that, you know, when, parents come in and they have child with autism that sometimes the child can be overwhelmed by the sensory, you know, stuff that's going on. And so they have a, they're, they're trained. They have special toys in a quiet room where the child could go to. And I thought, you know, we as, we as as Christians ought to have that for our churches and things such as that. So I hope you can be that voice of, of, Gentle shepherding. How's that? Is that a good description of you? Thank you. Well, listen, this has been a real treat for me. And and I I know the audience is just delighted to hear from you. You are a very soothing voice of assurance to families who are probably a little bit edgy uh, with with a child with special needs. And they tend to be a little bit more nervous about things. and, And you are a calming voice to that. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you, Peter. The book is called You Can't Make This Stuff Up, Life Lessons from Special Kids. The author is Deborah Laneville, special needs teacher for 42 years and a delightful guest here on the program today. The website is speciallessons.com. This is Peter Rosenberger. We'll be right back. 
I'll never forget walking into the hospital room after Gracie had her second amputation. Both legs are gone now. And she looked at me. She said, I know what I'm going to do. And I was kind of startled. I said, well, what are you going to do? She said, I'm going to help provide prosthetic limbs to my fellow amputees and tell them about Jesus. And I said, well, baby, can we get out of the hospital first? But she never let it go. And for almost 20 years, we've been working out of Ghana, West Africa. We treat patients all over there from other countries that come there. We send supplies. We send teams. We sponsor patients. We work with a prison where inmates volunteer to disassemble used prosthetic limbs so we can recycle the parts. All of this because Gracie trusted God with her heartache. We've got a huge shipment of supplies that is being loaded up right now to go out soon. Would you help us do it? Standingwithhope.com slash giving. Standingwithhope.com slash giving. There's prosthetic feet, knees, pylons, sleeves, adapters, all kinds of connectors. All of these things we are sending over there so that people can walk. We're going to point them to Christ. Help us out. Statingwithhope.com slash giving. When a banker's taught to identify counterfeit bills, the focus is on how to identify real currency, not the fake. Why? Well, because knowing how to recognize what is true is the key to avoiding deception. Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with another Stand in the Gap Minute. This week we've looked at the ways God's Word helps us to avoid spiritual deception. We must anticipate deception. We must not envy those who stray from God's path. We must stand firm in God's truth, and we must regularly invest time in Scripture to know the Lord's voice. You see, these principles are found in James 4, verse 8, where he says, Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Our goal is not simply to avoid sin, but to walk closely with our Lord, just as a young child sticks close to a loving father. When we focus on our relationship with Him, we will better avoid the deceptions we face today. Discover more at AmericanPastorsNetwork.net. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver here on American Family Radio. This is Peter Rosenberg. I'm so glad that you were with us. Hey, um, I was thinking about back on the first segment when I was talking about, before I had Deborah on, I was thinking about, you know, I have a hard time being able to focus on one thing. I, I don't think I've ever been diagnosed as ADD. Uh, so I, I, I was thinking, you know, after having a special needs t- teacher on there, I'm kind of glad she didn't hear that part. So that would, she probably would have uh, pulled me aside and said, "Hey, young man, we're going to have a conversation." I was a rather rambunctious child, but you know, I, I don't know the, the philosophy on how you deal with boys. I'm not an educator, so, but it seems like the philosophy on how we deal with boys in our culture. Uh, I may have had some challenges in today's world that I didn't have when I was growing up. I know I had teachers that had challenges with me. But, no, I think as a caregiver, it has accelerated issues that, you know, I was good at multitasking before I became a caregiver. But I became, like, so proficient at it. So I just wanted to circle back to that. I, I didn't want you all to be alarmed Um not that you were, but on the break, I was thinking about that. I thought, oh, my goodness. So, anyway, hey, look, we're all family here. Y'all know me by now. You know that I'm just going to be half idiot on any given day anyway. I remember one time we were doing the show from Nashville, and, and I don't know what prompted this, 
but I was talking about the, the, the purpose of the show, why I do it, and you know what's the driving force. And there are so many people out there that are saying pablum to caregivers. I mean, just stupid stuff. You know, take care of yourself and and make sure you do that and that kind of stuff. And they're promulgating that out as a outreach to caregivers. And I said this on the air in Nashville. I said, you know, any idiot can tell you that. You need a special kind of idiot to tell you the things that I do. So um, I am I am that special kind of idiot. But I, I'm just kind of curious as I look back on some things and see how it's evolved. And when I interact with other caregivers, I always want to ask questions like that because I want to see, you know, maybe if you've had the same experiences. Have you changed? Has this altered you? Has your personality changed? And if you've only done it for six months, probably not so much. But when you get into the years, and in my case, decades, I think there's some noticeable changes that happen to you on a personality level and and the way you respond to certain things. And not all of it's bad. In fact, I would suggest a lot of it's good. Because you learn to take things in stride a little differently than you did when maybe this thing first started. You know, I, I remember, um, I don't think my brother will mind me telling this, but he was doing a job interview for a very important job. He was an educator and he was going to be superintendent for a school district. And he went out to eat with people that were interviewing him. And he took his wife and daughter because their daughter has special needs. She is 35 years old and wheelchair-bound, nonverbal, non-ambulatory, and she's about like an 18-month-old, but she's 35 years old, and she goes everywhere with them. And Kelsey can be rather lively and adventuresome when you take her out on events, and this was no exception, but she sneezed at the dinner table, and it was rather messy okay can i just be delicate and my brother just he's on a job interview and he just was so nonplussed about it he just wiped it up moved on you know kept eating french fries or feeding her french fries or whatever just no big deal and it was for those of us in that world it's no big deal for those not in that world it can be a bit jarring the you know until you get used to it well you know, here he is on a job interview for this, a very important job. And the people were so impressed by his demeanor, how calm he was. He just kept going. Eh, no big deal. And those are things that I see that are real positives for us as caregivers, that we learn to take things in stride, that we don't have to freak out at everything. If you noticed that our country is kind of freaking out on a lot, I mean, there's... and. All fairness, there's a lot to freak out about, but we can't freak out, and particularly as Christians. And I said this last week, and, I, and it bears repeating, not because I said it, but because this is what Scripture says, that we can be disciplined, measured, calm, focused, have our right mind about us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not the author of confusion, and we can have 
settledness in our own spirits, no matter what's going on around us. And yes, we can be multitasking and all those kinds of things that we can be a bit stressed out and we, we're doing a lot of things. We can read a room better. We can watch for certain things, but then we can also turn it off and learn to be still. You know, isolation is a big crippler for us as caregivers. We, we struggle with that. We saw that with COVID. The whole world saw that with COVID. But solitude is different. Solitude is not isolation. Isolation is cut off. Solitude is separating oneself. Jesus went out into the wilderness for solitude. And we can carve out that solitude for ourselves to be able to recharge, to, to recalibrate our brain, to discharge the electricity, as I said in the first block. You know, if we got a lot of static buildup, it will feel like our hair standing up on end. You know, we, we can do that through solitude. How many times have you heard me say on this program, if we don't take time for stillness, we're going to have to make time for illness. And look through scripture and see how many times stillness, being still, is directed towards us to learn how to just simmer down, chill out, be still. Settle your spirit. Settle yourself down. The world is watching. And if our faith does not change the way we approach things, if what we believe in our doctrines do not have a visible impact on us that others can see, who may not share the same faith, who may not even understand what we believe, but if they don't see us being different, in the midst of things that other people may recoil at, then what good is what we believe? And we need to examine that. We need to think about that. And as I've always been very impressed with my brother because he was just so nonplussed about it. It's okay. My very, very disabled daughter sneezes and it's snotty. And it's okay. And he's on a job interview. And it's okay. It's all right. By the way, he got the job. It, it's that kind of thing that people desperately need in this world. They need people who can be measured, who can get the job done, who are not freaking out. As caregivers, I do want to leave you with this. I, I truly believe this. As caregivers, we are a an employer's dream. I think way too many caregivers devalue themselves. They see the mistakes they make and they don't think they are really they're anything other than just glorified orderlies at many times. A lot of us do feel that way. I've been there. But if you step back and really examine what it is that we bring to the table, when you've done this for a long time and you deal with these crises, I've had more people come up to me over the years and they find themselves thrust into this world and they look at me and they said, how have you done this? How do you do this? And I would love to tell you that I'm just brilliant and so talented and everything else, but I have a string of failures behind me. I've just been doing this a long time. But the, the greatest change that has come over me is that I recognize that God sees all this fractured person that I am. You know, a guy that can be a high-functioning multitasker that can do all these things, he can read all the room, but he also takes that even deeper to say, you know what, you can be calm even as you do these things. You can 
you know, be cooking dinner and doing laundry and everything else, and you could still stay calm. You could still stay measured and disciplined. You could still stay in a place of peace and contentment. Now, I'm not always there. Gracie will tell you that in a heartbeat. But I'd like to think that I'm making some improvements. I'd like to think that. I don't, <laughs> I don't have the empirical data that, I'd, <laughs> that I have to show you, but I'd like to think that. In all seriousness, I think you're the same way. Would you look at yourself that way? Would you, after the program today, would you maybe just take a little bit of inventory and look at your life? Do you see differences? Do you see changes in your life? Do you see things that that are good? That that wow, I, I can do that. I didn't know that I could do that. I didn't know that I could do this and not freak out. I didn't know that I could talk to a surgeon this way, you know, and be able to get things done. I didn't know that I could win a battle with an insurance company. I didn't know that I could recall scripture to mind while I'm having to clean up messes. I didn't know that I could do that with thanksgiving in my heart. I didn't know that I could give thanks for this. But you can now, can't you? And that's the goal. And that's worthy of us reinforcing in each other. I need you to do that for me. I need you to reinforce that in my life, just like I'm reinforcing that in your life now. We are forever changed because we're caregivers. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's challenging. It's hard. I, I know that. But look what God can do. Look what God has done. And look what God continues to do. And give thanks. And say, you know, Lord, thank you. Remember the old Bill Gaither hymn? Something beautiful, something good. All my confusion, he understood. But all I had to offer him was brokenness and strife. But he made something beautiful of my life as a caregiver. How about that? And that is, by the way, hope for the caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio. Faith.